0: Now we're looking at a man who really was considered and is considered the father of faith in the Bible of Abraham. um, And that we're looking uh, at that aspect of him being a man fueled and filled with faith. Um, And last week, I'm carrying on from uh, Vince, where you'll know in the story, if you were here last week, uh, that Abraham was at a point where he still hadn't received his promised son, which was the promise that he was living with. um, But he was visited by three visitors and... uh, uh, Vince last week talked to us about hospitality, um, but also about the potential of all that God can do in our lives. And I'm picking the story up here where he's just finished with these visitors uh, who have been with him. And then Abraham takes a walk with them and two of them go off. Uh, and uh, he is left having a conversation with God, having a conversation with the Lord. Uh, and it was great in the worship this morning that actually we spent some time praying. Because uh, this morning it is, we are in part looking at the, the uh, topic of prayer Uh, And actually, it's the first petitionary prayer in the Bible, and it's Abraham praying and pleading with God for the city of Sodom. And so it's great, that tie in the worship, that essentially ties into something that we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. And we're going to do it under three headings this morning, which have come up on the screen. Um, Firstly, the fact that God's calling us into a relationship, uh, that not a rules-based kind of faith, but something that actually begins and ends with a relationship with Jesus um, secondly, as we take that walk ourselves with God, that we become like Him, and we see that uh, in what was happening in this passage with Abraham. Uh, and thirdly, we're going to pray. We're going to talk about prayer dynamite. So, under those three headings. So let's turn, uh, if you've got them in your Bibles, please, to Genesis 18, uh, and we're going to read from beginning at verse 16, going on to verse 33, and it should appear as if by magic behind me. Let's read together. So, Abraham pleads for Sodom. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on the earth will be blessed through him. For I've chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they've done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous with the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? Then the Lord, proving that he can do math, said, (laughs) If I find 45 there, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. The Lord's thinking, "Yeah, just once. <laughs> what if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. So, the first thing that uh, struck me about this passage, uh, that I just, I guess I couldn't quite get past, was the fact that Abraham was having an actual conversation with God, you know, and actually the there's depths to this conversation, isn't there, that actually it's not just a superficial thing, it's not a, a one-way thing, it's really like a two-way conversation. And, and I guess I was just completely struck that God hasn't just called us into a kind of uh, a religious or, or ritual-based kind of spirituality, but he's called us into a relationship, something that's much more like a conversation. And we can see, actually, even in the language that God adopted with Abraham that was really important to God, it was really important to the Lord to speak to Abraham in a way that was almost on Abraham's level. We see in verse 17, he said, then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? So God's asking himself this rhetorical question, and, and it's probably not because he was trying to make up his mind. It's because he wanted to engage with Abraham. It's because he wanted to connect with him. And I just think it's, it's wonderful And we almost need to pause at this point just to see that in Scripture, right at the beginning, from the very beginning, that God affirms that our spirituality is about a relationship with Jesus, that it's not about a set of rules, but it's about a connection with a man, and his name is Jesus. You know, why why would we even have to kind of reaffirm that to ourselves? Why would we have to think about that? And I guess ultimately... We saw that Jesus spent loads of time, didn't he, in the New Testament, sort of talking against the Pharisees who were in that trap, that actually the, their faith wasn't something to do with their heart, but it was like an outward-based set of rituals and things that they walked through. And I guess, you know, if I'm being more personal and ultimately thinking about me, that actually I have a tendency in my heart, I guess, just to fall into a place of self-sufficiency, or I guess as a want or a part of that wrong sort of, Nature within us is that want of control and independence. And actually we can get into a place where actually our our faith almost does come a bit transactional and uh, we just end up going through the motions and it's almost like, you know, perhaps to us God's a bit more like a bank manager than he is a a heavenly father that we're close to. You know, we we don't really like to go and have to see the bank manager, do we? Um, And perhaps, you know, all these... Spiritual actions we're doing are like us trying to make a spiritual deposit in our bank account that maybe just one day might just add up to being something that will please God. Or perhaps actually our faith, our spirituality, is more like it feels like a bit more like a lottery um, where we're just feeding pound coins into a into a a slot machine and that we're hoping that if we keep feeding enough, maybe one day we'll hit the jackpot. I just read a book um, while I was on holiday. Um, about the Tibetan Sherpas and all about them helping in the way that they get people up Mount Everest. And if you see pictures of Everest and, and people walking up it, you'll see all these prayer flags uh, and these butter lamps that these Sherpas, who are Buddhists, light on their way up. And they actually believe that Everest is a god uh, and that they're basically she's a sort of a uh, fickle god and they must do all these things to try and please her. And it's like that sense of lottery or superstition um, that they're trying to, to feed this essentially by favor from this God, that they could have a safe passage up the mountain. And There's no sense of certainty in it. There's no sense of assurance, um, but it's just like a lottery. Or maybe we're just in that place um, where actually we just feel we need to do good works for God to try and earn his favor, that like God's our sales manager, and we've got this wonderful product of Christianity that we're trying to sell and peddle. Um, and if we can just make enough sales, then again, we'll be, we'll be good enough for God to accept us. But no, this isn't the way that it works, that God affirms the fact that we've been invited into a relationship with him, like a long conversation across our lives. There's two scriptures um, that affirm this picture of what we're seeing with Abraham um, and what God's doing uh, in in this passage. Uh, And the first is Psalm 25. It says that the friendship of the Lord is with them that fear him. and then also in uh, Proverbs 3.32, that the the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright into his confidence. And that's what God's called us to. I think that's a wonderful scripture. It's something wonderful to meditate on, that actually God's called us to friendship with him. And actually, you know, what we're seeing in this passage is actually uh, Abraham and God starting to confide in Abraham, wasn't it, What what we know this is all about, which is ultimately God's rescue plan, for the universe that this is the introduction and, and and God promising Jesus to come and sort out the mess that we got ourselves into uh, from from the beginning. So, if our faith is a relationship, it made me think, what is it about that relationship that I, I really value? What are the things that I appreciate most about my faith being a conversation and not being a set of rules or rituals that I, I follow? Uh, And they're just three things. Firstly, it's the fact that he knows me uh, and that he relates to me in a really personal way. It says in Psalm 139 that you've searched me and you know me. Uh, And that's an amazing thing just to stop and ponder and consider that actually for each one of you in this room, Jesus knows you. He knows you personally. He knows you intimately. He knows every detail of your life. And he wants a relationship and a friendship with you that he wants to work out uh, for the rest of your life um, and that shouldn't be a surprise, we saw this morning like I shared that picture about Pete picking up his son and that sense of him knowing and loving his son and you know, and, and me as the father of three children I think about my children, I think about ways that I can bless them, I think about uh, what's going on in their lives and and the timing of certain things that I need to do to, to bless them and help them and uh, we've just been away to uh, France on holiday camping and um, just as we were Preparing to go to go away the night before, uh, Dan, one of my boys, is reading a particular series of books at the moment, and uh, he it was just coming to the end of one of the books, and he was worried that we weren't going to be able to get the next in the series um, because uh, he was going to read it, and we wouldn't get it in France, we'd be in French, and that wouldn't be very helpful, of course. Um, and uh, we—it was too late for Amazon. We tried the library, that didn't work, um, and then so this was—you know—he went to bed, and he's a bit disappointed about the fact that we'd kind of forgotten about this. um, But it was on my heart, as his father, to try and sort that out. And then I realized, I thought, there's someone who might have this book. And uh, so I texted them, sorted it out. And then, uh, so when he woke up in the morning, the book was next to his bed. And he woke (laughs) up, he was like punching the air, yes, I've got the next one. Um, And I did that because of my thought for him and my love for him. Um, As an example, in my own life, uh, there was a time when I was a teenager, um, there was a time when I was a teenager? I was a teenager. Um, when I was in my teens is what I'm trying to say. Um, I used to play drums in our local church, a little town in, in the middle of nowhere in uh, Wales. And I was there on a Saturday setting my drum kit up uh, one time. And um, it was just me in there, apart from the fact that there was a visiting speaker that weekend. Uh, and he was also doing some stuff in another bit of the, the room um, while I set my drum kit up. And he was obviously watching me. Uh, And while he was finishing up his stuff, he came over to me and he just said uh, hi and he introduced himself. Uh, He said, you don't know who I am, but I really feel like Jesus wants to tell you something. I thought, well, that's exciting. It's nice to be told something from Jesus. And um, he just said, uh, uh, Jesus wants you to know um, just how much he loves the time that you make to be with him um, and how special he finds it when you put time aside to be with him. Now, that's an encouraging word anytime, but what this guy didn't know on that particular day, it happened to be my birthday, and, uh, and it was like an immense gift to me, and actually, I guess a defining moment, and we have this, this is the relationship and the journey Jesus wants to take you on, that actually there are moments where he speaks to us, and that sense of him being with us is, is incredibly special, and that to me was a defining moment where I almost sort of went away from the church building that day, just almost skipping in my heart, thinking, I've got a relationship with Jesus. This is amazing. He knows me. He thought this morning, it's David's birthday, and I'm going to give him a present. Uh, and that's the kind of relationship that he wants to have with you. The second point, uh, I guess, around it being a relationship that we're invited into is that he refreshes us. And, um, Now, we all do different things, don't we, to find rest uh, and refreshment. I don't know what your kind of thing is. Um, I like to go out and get on a mountain bike uh, and enjoy being outdoors. Um, But uh, anyway, last weekend, uh, we weren't here because it was our wedding anniversary. And I've been married to Nerys now uh, for 13 years, which is uh, fantastic. Uh, And because I've been married to my wife for 13 years, I know what she likes. Um, So I thought when it comes to our wedding anniversary, I'm going to... Uh, do something that she will like. So I booked us into... At uh, uh, first, day I booked our kids into... Uh, <laughs> um, be looked after by parents-in-law. And then I booked us into a hotel and spa, right, in um, Midwest, uh, in yeah, West, West Wales. Um, and, uh, and it was a very nice place that we went to. And um, anyway, we arrived there, and we're sort of unpacking... And, and, you know, these spas are places, apparently, that people go to to find rest and relaxation, Okay. It's not something I experience every day. It's not something particularly <laughs> high on my identity, but I know nearest would like it, so we went. And um, we were unpacking our stuff in our room. Then Naris picks up the uh, the kind of uh, brochure of all the treatments, and apparently you can have all this stuff done at this spa and choose down like this menu of options of things you can have done to you uh, while you're at this spa, okay? And they all cost different amounts of money. It's very stressful. Um, and, <laughs> um, and then. Uh, oh, and by the way, before you ask, no, I did not have anything done to me. Um, I need to be clear about that point. Um, Neris did fleetingly point at the eyebrow waxing, and I just took it as a joke and uh, moved on quickly. But Neris started laughing. Listen to this one um, that was described. and, and uh, So this, this particular treatment is called aramisole. Right, which apparently is aroma and soul put together. New words, they've created a new word. Aroma soul has been developed to offer the ultimate in massage experiences. Taking inspiration from the ancient techniques from around the world, this ritual will take you on a journey of four distinct worlds. (laughs) The exotic oriental cultures, the vibrancy and warmth of the Mediterranean, the multicolored world and life philosophy of India, and the ancient mesmerizing world of the desert tribes, the Berbers. (laughs) We, we found this very funny, and I wanted you to know that she did not do this, okay? Now, to you, and to some of you, I expect that sounds like heaven on earth, um, we can pray for you later. Um, and we all do different things to relax, and lots of those things are really good. You know, it's really good for us to go away uh, and be on this sort of thing, but the sort of rest that Jesus offers is something that's completely different. Um, it's something that, you know, like I experienced in the worship this morning, But ultimately, that connection, that relationship with Jesus is something um, where you get that sense of, you know, in Psalm 23, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything else. It's because I've connected with him. I'm able to enter into that sense of rest. It says in uh, John that Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. It's something entirely different. It's at that point, you know, certainly for me, in worship or when I connect with him reading the Bible... Uh, or in prayer and a lot of the time for me that means corporate prayer getting together with people to pray and there's that real sense of connection with Jesus that actually it's almost all that sense of striving and independence just falls away God breaks in and there's that just sense of him saying you know like he said on the cross David it's finished there's nothing more you can do to be more complete uh, or more what I need you to be that I accept you and that is what real rest is. Real rest is being in the presence of Jesus. And it's then, out of that presence and out of that relationship, that he gives us a sense of purpose. Um, He shows us who we are. Um, We see this in the passage with Abraham. In verse 18, uh, it says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. All the nations on earth will be blessed through him it's at that point, you know, when we are in God's presence, when we're in relationship with him, it's almost like all the biggest questions in our life are answered, you know, aside from all the pressures of what we or our culture or our family or our partner or our, the people around us, our friends expect us to be. There's just actually, what does Jesus expect of me? Uh, and that is something uh, that we see with Abraham, that, you know, we saw in the passage a few weeks ago that Abraham got given a new name. And it's in God's presence and in relationship with him that we learn to start valuing the things that God values and that Jesus can reveal to us who we truly are. So there's those three things in terms of relationship with Jesus. Relationship, not rules. He knows me. He refreshes me. and Thankfully, we don't have to go to a spa, and it'll be a little while before I have to again. Um, and he shows me who I am. Now, in terms of uh, us becoming like who he is. It's really interesting in this passage that as Abraham walks with God, so um, what's happened is he's had these three visitors at his house, and then two of them then go off to Sodom to go and check it out, but he's just left with the Lord. Uh, And um, it was the ultimate respect and sort of honor in those days to, uh, if you'd had visitors with us and Vince spoke about hospitality and the importance of that last week, but also the ultimate sense of respect that actually, with your visitors, to walk part of the journey uh, out with them uh, and to walk out with them. And you get the sense with Abraham that this was not something he was doing out of any sense of obligation. He was doing it because there was something so completely compelling and wonderful about being in God's presence. It's almost like, you know, the story in the New Testament uh, after Jesus had been resurrected on the road to Emmaus where... Um, the two disciples walked with Jesus, but they didn't quite realize they were walking with Jesus. Then after they described the experience, and they said it was something like our hearts just burned within us. And we see that with Abraham, that you almost get this sense of Abraham walking with with uh, the Lord and just looking into his eyes and wanting to be with him and wanting to keep up with him. You know, Abraham was hungry to experience more and more of him. And I guess what struck me about this passage was just the amazing godliness of Abraham's prayer, you know, we've seen Abraham walk through loads of different things, some highs and lows, we've seen God speak amazing promise to him, but we've also seen like loads of weakness in his life, it's been really startling, I think actually as the the series have gone on, I've grown to like Abraham more and more, because actually if you look at the reality of what happened with him, he made some really fatal errors, you know, some really bad errors, but actually you also see the fact that he's progressively becoming more and more like Jesus, God is changing him as Abraham continues to walk with him. And I guess what was surprising was if you think about the town of Sodom, uh, you know, what, what was Sodom like? And, you know, it's surprising that Abraham pl- prayed with such positivity. Obviously, we know that uh, Lot was there, um, Abraham's uh, nephew, so th- there was probably something there. But actually, you know, he prayed a really faith-filled and loving prayer, and it's quite surprising. So if you think about Sodom, Sodom was not a place that any one of you would want to live. Um, it was a place that was violent, uh, it was a, pra- a place that was racist, that hated outsiders. It was a place that, where there was a sense of disorder, that uh, there was it w- there would be no safe place in that in that sort of city, even your house for you to to hide or get away from things. There was a sense of injustice and corruption, and just you know anything goes. And the passage talks about this outcry that had come uh, up to God, and that outcry was a twofold thing. Firstly, the outcry was the pain. Uh, of people in that city that God felt who were suffering because of the the sort of self-destruct kind of nature of that place. But also it was the sin. It was the, uh, the offense that actually God felt about that place. And, um, you know, we know that while uh, God loved all the people of Sodom, that he hated the sin of that place because that community was in total self-destruction. And almost left unchecked, that community would... Uh, pretty much risked the well being of that region and, and even if you think about generations to come, it could have set a precedent of what that area in that region would be like. And hence it had come up to God and it was something he was going to take action over. And you know, we've just seen that and we've seen throughout the story of Abraham that God had said to Abraham, You're going to be a great nation. So it wasn't like he'd said to Abraham, You're going to be a great village one day, or you're going to be a great town, or even you're going to be a great city. He'd said, You're going to be a great nation there's this man who is going to be, who's had that purpose and destiny put on him, that he's going to be a great nation. And he could have looked at Sodom and thought, well, I'm a great nation. I'm going to be a great nation. Um, but he didn't. He actually looked at Sodom with complete compassion. It's funny, this conversation, isn't it? That he kind of starts, uh, so I'm going to start the stakes at 50 with the Lord, okay? 50 people. Uh, and then progressively sort of dial it down to 45 40, 30, 20, and then he arrives at 10, finally, and we're glad that we get there, because um, uh, it's taken a while to, to, to go through that. You just think, well, what is going on in this passage? Was it the fact that actually um, God needed convincing, uh, that actually God, one, did need to go to Sodom to check it out, to see how many people there who were faithful, and two, that actually you need convincing by by Abraham of what to do? Um, And superficially, we could read that and think, you know, is that a bit of a fickle God? But that's not the case at all. What we're looking at here is the fact that actually, as Abraham prayed, he was progressively capturing more and more of God's heart. He was capturing more of who God was and of what God wanted to do in that place. Um, And I guess the reality for us is that we all live um, with an element of prejudice of those who are different from us, for those that would be easy to look at and say, well, they're different, uh, and therefore... um, you know, I'm not going to pray for them, but actually what we're seeing here is that Abraham presses into God's heart as he continues to pray. Um, there was an example um, when, uh, just after I left university, I was thinking, what shall I do next in terms of um, uh, job or whatever? And I actually went and spent some time in a project in a town um, where the, it was a, a project for the homeless, a night shelter, where essentially people were invited in, about 15 people, uh, into this building every night and we prepared food for them and did stuff and helped look after them. Uh, and I came from a little town in Brecon and um, yes, and spent some time in university in a big city, uh, but actually, you know, this was like being put with 15 men who were so totally different to me and whose background was so totally different to me. I've got to be completely honest with you, when I arrived on day one, I was already thinking about uh, the, the day when I would leave because I, I felt massively uncomfortable with this situation. I just think these people are different to me. These people don't know how to relate to me, and I don't really know how to relate to them. I feel uncomfortable. Uh, I feel exposed in this place, and I'm quite looking forward to leave. But you know what we did as a team, and obviously this was a Christian uh, project, is what we prayed together every day for those people. And Actually, there was one day they sort of fasted and prayed as well. Um, and this amazing transformation happened to me over the course of the period that I was there. where As we prayed every day with those, I just started to love these people more. Um, and actually literally through the course of the week just a sense of God's love and heart for those men coming upon me to the point where, uh, where I got to the end of the period I was meant to be there it was actually really painful to leave because of the, God, the compassion that God had put on me and that's what prayer does isn't it as we pray as we feel God's heart for people and this is what's happening to Abraham He's actually, you know, it's not Abraham's goodness that we're seeing here. This is God's goodness and God's love for people that he's walking and he's thinking, okay, I'll ask for 40, but actually he's seeing a twinkle in Jesus' eye. He's almost saying, ask me for 20, ask me for 10. You know, he's learning God's heart. I'm conscious of time, uh, so I need to keep moving on. So my last point in terms of, you know, we can't get away from the fact that this uh, was, this is about prayer. This was the first petitionary prayer Uh, in the Bible, and there's basically three things that we need to get out of this passage that will help us during September as we commit to pray for our city, as we commit to pray for this nation, and as we really do, as we've seen this morning, need to pray for the nations in terms of all that's going on uh, in the world at the moment. And I'm going to rattle through these uh, because time doesn't half fly. Um, The first is that Abraham totally focuses on God's character. So actually, we see the fact that part of that dynamite, by the way, the dynamite, what that is, is it's faith. That what's so impressive about this prayer is that it's just absolutely filled with faith. It's prayer dynamite. It's something that is just going to explode in God's presence. And that's what God asked for us. He asked for us to have this level of faith or this sort of faith when we're praying. Um, Abraham says, you know, he, through the description, I won't read it out because I'm short on time. Um, but he calls on God's character. He basically tells God who he is. And why does he do that? He does that because it builds faith. And we do that when we come to pray together, don't we? We don't just start with a list and say, well, Lord, there's a problem here, there, and there. Will you sort it out, please? And we actually start, we'd encourage in our our prayer meetings that we start just by focusing on God, you know, in terms of God's attributes. God, you're amazing. You know, God, you, you made everything that we see and you sustain everything that we see. You are filled with power, Lord Jesus. You're amazing. Look at the work of your cross and what that means to us. And as we do, as we, as we start to pray into who God is, his character, it fills us with faith because we know we're coming to want someone who isn't uh, unable to do stuff, but someone who's full of power and able to move. So that was the first thing. Secondly, um, we see that Abraham came with great humility. You'll see in the passage that at one point he says, I'm just dust and ashes, and he keeps apologizing almost for his very existence. And you think, well, that's a strange thing for him to do. Um, is it the fact that he's kind of being derogatory against himself? And I, I don't think it is. I think it's one something about the fear of the Lord, about actually, you know, yes, we have friendship, um, but we have friendship with the Lord. You know, it's, this is this is like no other friendship that we will ever know. Um, and essentially, what Abraham was doing in that process was he was emptying himself. Uh, of of any sense of him being able to be a solution to this and as he did that you know we we hear in the New Testament about the fact we're we're just the jars of clay aren't we he's the treasure Um, and that it's essentially him that uh, is the one and that if we if we are weak with him then it allows him to be strong through us Uh, and it's that sense of emptying himself and then God can be all that God is in his life so it was a great thing so it was with great humility and the last thing uh, was that it was defined by love for people. So we can see the fact that, yes, Abraham was thinking about Lot in this passage and there was a, a love for the individual there, but also progressively we see through the prayer there was actually a love that he had for that community. And I think it was just amazing because there's loads of things that you know Abraham could have said, well, don't you know how bad it is there? Don't you know what they've done? But actually what God had called him to do was to love those people, not to be the judge of them, but to love them. And how freeing is that as we look at this next month, as we pray for all the things we're going to pray, that we don't have to pray with a sense of judgment, but we can pray for, like we did this morning for Syria, that there's loads of things we could probably say and pray into that would you know, judge that situation. But actually, um, we get to pray with love that God would rescue those people in only the way that he can. So, um, that's where I'm going to draw this to a close. And um, I guess in conclusion, it's important to say that the last bit of the, uh, the passage uh, says that when the Lord had finished with speaking with Abraham, uh, he left. And Abraham went home. Um, and I guess that's a great part of our... As we look at the life of Abraham, that's a great and encouraging thing, that yes, we do have these hilltop moments with God. And like for me on my whatever teenage birthday it was, that was a wonderful moment. But then I still had to go home Uh, And God's still with me, but it's just not quite in the same way, is it? But I then had to go home and work that out. And in the same way, Abraham had to go home and work that out, work that through to times of intense experience uh, in the presence of God, but then also times where we we actually have to then make that work, where, yes, we still know God. Yes, we still have those wonderful moments with him. We see him speaking to us on a daily basis, but it's probably not just in exactly the same way. And Abraham had to go home uh, and work that out too. Uh, And we will shortly have to go home and work that out too. (laughs) Um, So, this passage, first reading, what are we going to get out of it? I think we've got loads out of it. You know, we've seen ultimately that God's called us to a rich relationship with him, not uh, a ritual, not a religion, um, but actually relationship with Jesus. Um, We've learned from Abraham that, we see from Abraham that while he made loads of mistakes, that through his life, and we're approaching one of the most wonderful parts of the story of where... God calls on Abraham for, to, to, to make the most sort of, the, the, to ask the biggest thing of Abraham he could have ever asked when we look at him sacrificing his son. Um, and the fact is that God got him there. God put that character in him, and God's putting that character in each one of us as we continue to walk with him that godliness and that Christlikeness. Uh, and we've learned what it is to have prayer dynamite. Um, I'm going to close in prayer at this point because um, I'm conscious that as I work in OKC and I always look at the clock at quarter past uh, 12, uh, thinking, are things going to end? Then uh, I uh, I should be kind to the people in there today. So um, to end, why don't we just stand? And I'm just going to pray for our city, like Abraham prayed for Sodom, and then we'll, we'll finish. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all that you're speaking to us. Thank you, Lord, that you know Each person in this room, and Lord Jesus, thank you that you're wanting to have friendship with each one of us a relationship uh, that will be with us in this lifetime and through all of eternity, where we are swept up in your arms and uh, are made one with you through the wonderful work of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that that's our experience, or the experience for many of us in this room, but Lord, that. You want that to be the, uh, the experience yet for many people who don't know you in Birmingham. And Lord Jesus, thank you for the love that you've put in this room for those in Birmingham and for this nation as well and the nations, Lord. And we just lift this city and this nation up to you this morning. And Lord, ask that you would have mercy. But Lord Jesus, thank you that, um, that you are interested in numbers because each one of those numbers is someone that you died for, that you love that's on your heart and your mind that as you approach the cross you were thinking of and uh, Lord Jesus we want to pray that through this month Lord Jesus that there would be a sense of us being caught up more in love for the people that you love Lord Jesus uh, for love for this city and that you create in us Lord Jesus uh, a heart like you have Lord Jesus that would readily sort of lay ourselves down and be given over to see your kingdom come in this place and we pray And finish with that, Lord, that your kingdom would come. That, Lord Jesus, you'd establish your kingdom in this place, just as it is in heaven, that you would rule and reign and bring healing and restoration to this city, King Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.